0: Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. Praise the Lord. Man, it is so good to be here sharing God's Word again today. Whoo! It's always a blessing. It is always a blessing and an honor to get to share God's Word anywhere. Anywhere. And it's amazing that... Uh, God uses people to preach his word. Mm. He's so good. He's so good. So, this was this is part 2 of the elementary principles of Christ. So, in part 1, we're going to do a little bit of revi- of a review. In part 1, we read Hebrews chapter 5. We read the entire chapter. And then we read verses 1 through 3. In Hebrews chapter 6 and those are our primary text Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 now the writer of Hebrews here gives us something to chew on that seems very very hard to understand so here's what he says starting at verse 1 in chapter 6 is therefore Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural tense, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So it seems here that the pin, what seat what has seemingly become the pinnacle of the teaching of the church is really what the Holy Spirit calls the elementary principles of Christ, right? We have churches that are preaching messages of salvation and repentance Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night to a church full of people that's probably been born again a dozen times over or the majority of more. And this is where we start to see people struggle. This is why we see people rising and falling, right? Because if you go back a couple verses, if you go back to verse 12 in chapter 5, you're going to see that the writer of Hebrews makes a statement. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, because you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now we see there that this you have become, That uh, we are reviewing that again, and that gives us, an indicator of a regression from a higher point a higher a place of higher spirituality to a lower place of spirituality so it is possible right you can get born again you can proceed to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and, grow. and then you can get to a point where you start where you you don't do anything then you start regressing, just like how would you stop exercising? You can exercise for years, but the, second, the, the day that you stop exercising regularly is the day that physically you begin to regress from your point of the position of health that you were at down to a lower position, very same thing, right? And so this gets confusing to people because they think once God does something, He does it. Well, he, that's true. But in, on the flip side of that, it is our job to cultivate and maintain and grow the gift that has been given to us. So in the review, we're going to review really quick. We talked about that we've seen the, the, in Hebrews chapter 5. We see the, the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews, making the point of spiritual regression. Now, we just talked about that. Okay, Then we also see, here's what we see. It says, for you have become dull. Right? Have become dull. That's, that gives us a sense of that we have wandered, we've wandered away. It's very, very important to see that. Very, very important to see that because dull here is translated from the Greek word nothros, and it means to be, It means slothful, slow. It means indolent, indolent, I'm sorry, indolent. And that means wanting to avoid activity or exertion, becoming lazy. So we see that it says because you have become dull, you have become, regression of a higher spiritual point to a lower spiritual point, you have become dull, lacking. You've become lacking in wanting to exercise and involve yourself spiritually very important to see this now we also talked slightly about the priesthood of the lord jesus christ and we're not going to go back over that but i wanted to just talk about that again so that brings us up to speed on where we're starting at today here in part two now in discussing these elementary principles of christ it is so Oh, it's so hard to describe how important what we're going to talk about today is because you need to know what makes you you to understand why Jesus had to do what he did. Everything that he went through was for a purpose. Everything he went through was for a reason. And if you don't know what makes you you, you can be born again but then you're fumbling around in elementary school, not moving forward, not progressing, not growing in Christ. And then you'll get to a point to where you'll just begin to regress. So it's, you have to understand. We've got to lay the groundwork here for what, understanding what makes you you. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says about it. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 you'll see that the Holy Spirit through Paul said this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming day of the Lord. Your whole spirit, soul, and body. All right, so this is important. It's important to understand why the holy spirit uses this term here because there are three parts to you there are three parts to the makeup or the composition of the man, of the being of man okay and it was it was confusing in the old testament you'd see that the you would see that spirit and soul were used seemingly interchangeably in the old testament and the lord said it to me like this he said they knew that there were eternal parts to man in the Old Testament, but they didn't know that the spirit and the soul were two different things. We don't get that revelation until we get to the New Testament. So take a look. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, if you're taking notes. Now, this is what it says. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. "...and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart." So we see here that there is actually a dividing point between the spirit of man and the soul of man. It's important to understand this. It's also important to understand that the only thing that can divide the spirit of man from the soul of man is the Word of God. And yet we must understand that they are two different things. Think about it like this. For example, if my arm was cut in two, I would say my arm was cut in two. But if my arm was cut away from my torso at the shoulder, then there's a dividing point. That dividing point, they're so closely linked, you can't see a division between them at the shoulder joint. It's important to see that but still yet the torso is still separate from the arm there is that division point much like there is that point of division between the spirit and the soul now why is this important well we're going to go into this it's very very important to understand why this is important okay so here's what i want to here's what we want to reiterate yet again is that you are a spirit you have a soul you and, and they are both housed inside a body. Now your spirit is eternal and your soul is eternal. They can only be divided by the word of God. And they are both housed, again, like we said, in a fleshly body. So take a look at this. Here's what we want to see. What happened to Adam? We've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Back to the book of Genesis. Back to the book of beginnings to understand what happened really happened to Adam, what happened to man, what happens to us, and then going in again, why Jesus had to do what he did. So go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 17, starting at verse 15, and it says, then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every Tree of the garden you may freely eat, but in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, two things we want to point out here number one, a literal rendering of the Hebrew here would say, In dying you will die. Number two, it's important to understand here that the Lord was prophesying to Adam about the day that he would eat of it. It didn't say here, "In the event that one day you do." No, He said, "In the day that you do, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." And it's important here to understand that when we see that, we see in dying you will die. Because what happened? Eve eat of the Adam or the apple, and not the apple, the fruit. I get that. I just, it seems, it's so hard to get that out of your mind, right, when you hear that. Very important. So, Eve ate of the fruit. Then she gave to Adam, and Adam ate of the fruit. Well, they did not immediately die flesh. Their bodies did not die. What happened? Because we see, remember, we go back through, And we see that later on in the cool of the day, when the Lord God is walking through the garden in the cool of the day, he hollers and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I've hit, we've hit ourselves because we were naked. And the Lord says, who told you that you were naked? Then there's that whole thing, right? It's funny. We'll stop right here and take a real quick side journey. Something the Lord showed me there the other day. So important. Why did the Lord ask them the questions that he asked them? That he asked them. It's beautiful. The Lord is beautiful. And here's why the Lord asked them what he asked them. If you go to 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, it says that if we will confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so even in this pre-covenant time, he knew sin couldn't exist in his presence and yet he provided a way for Adam and Eve to confess their sin. That way he could immediately forgive them, clothe them, and begin to take care of them even though we see that now this is a part of the fallen world. From that point, in dying you will die. Well, what does Romans 6 and 23 say? It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. All right, so the wages of sin is death. In dying, you will die. We have absolutely no record that Adam and Eve's physical appearance changed, even though it stands to reason that they had glorified bodies before the fall and then after the fall they have, they uh, they gained what is we would consider now a fleshly body okay so we see that that's a very probable thing but most importantly we see here that the moment that they ate and the moment that they sinned they were spiritually cut off from god now the spirit is eternal it's important to understand this it's important to understand that the soul is eternal Why is it important to understand that? Because when we step out of this body, there are one of two places that we're going to spend eternity. We are either going to spend eternity, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and we're going to spend eternity forever in the presence of God, an eternal life. My pastor, Chris Romine, says it like this, an eternal existence in the presence of God. Or if you have chosen not to accept jesus christ as your savior and lord there's only one other place in all of creation that you can go and that is a prison for disobedient spirits called hell and that's exactly what hell is it's a prison for disobedient spirits that have chosen to live and spend eternity outside of god's presence and even outside the will of god it's horrible really really horrible but it's unfortunate that some people will make that decision all right so here's what i want you to think about when we look back at the beginning of this it says that the lord formed adam in his hands and then it says that he blew into him the breath of life The word breath here, translated from the Hebrew word neshama, and it's defined as a divine inspiration, a vital blast, breath of God, breath of man, breath of every living thing. Now, here's what I want you to see, or the soul of man. Jump back to the New Testament for a minute and do a little research, and you're going to come to find that the word translated soul in the New Testament is translated from the Greek word psyche or suke, depending on which version of the Greek New Testament you're looking at and the number one most most important and primary definition for this word psyche is that it is the mind the will and the emotion of man so you take the mind the will and the emotion you house them all together and now you have the soul well what is the mind the mind is is the part of man that rations rationalizes and reasons and does the thinking what are the emotions the emotions are what make us how we feel how we love how we get angry right and the will our will is the things that we will we choose to do we set ourselves to do or we set ourselves not to do right so we can prove this and we can say that one or two can affect the third that can affect the whole thing think about it like this if your emotions, if you get hurt emotionally by someone, then it persuades the mind and changes the will of how you are going to, how your will about how you feel about someone. Very important to understand that. So we see that the mind, the will, and the emotions all put together make up the soul. And it's very important to understand that. Now, the soul is forever linked to the spirit of man. That's why the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions live forever because it's connected to the spirit. Very important to understand here that when the Bible is talking about spiritual death, that literally means spiritual separation from God. We know that Satan and demons and devils and evil spirits and all these things, that they exist. They're not connected to God. They've sinned against the Lord They're not connected to Him spiritually. They've been separated from Him. And yet, they are still living. But they are living in eternal death, separation from God. And it's very, very important to understand that. Because understanding these base principles is so important. So, so, so important. So, when we see that we see the terms, even somewhat in the, New, in the New Testament, we see the word soul and spirit seemingly used interchangeably. right? We see that on the day of Pentecost that 3,000 souls were saved and 3,000 souls were added to the church in that beautiful day. So it's important. It's important to see this because when we start digging into this here in just a minute, we're going to see which part of you, was born again but here's one thing i want to want to talk about because we have to see why did jesus have to do what he did yes he came to pay for our sin yes he came to pay for the sin of the world but what happened there why did he have to do this why did he have to do what he did and what specifically happened to you on the day that you accepted jesus christ as your savior and lord go to romans chapter 12 we're going to look at verses 1 through 12, and when you get there, yell, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Verse 1. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul writes and says, Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband who is bound by the law ...to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, now listen very carefully right here, very, very carefully. But sin, verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For from the law... For apart from the law, sin was dead. Listen here. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. And by it, it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment, holy and just and good. So here's some points I want to point out to you. The law was given so that sin and death should be revealed. It's very important to see that. Because in this, the law tells us that we need a Savior. It directs us to the fact and proves to us the fact we can't do this on our own. We can't work our way to heaven. You can't be good enough. You must have a Savior. Thank God that Savior is Jesus Christ. Whoo! Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We see that we cannot be removed out from under the law of sin and death, sin and death, lest we die to them. Why is this important? I'm going to show you in just a minute. Paul said he was alive without the law meaning he knew nothing of the law, but once he received a testimony of it, sin came to life, and he died. He died how? He died spiritually. Talk about the age of accountability here for just a minute. There, it seems as though this is a somewhat of a hot topic, but the age of accountability, there is no such magic number as... A lot of people would have you think there is because really the age of accountability in children is different for every single child due to the exposure that they have toward to the gospel and to good teaching and all this different stuff right so it's important to understand when we're talking about this number one it's important to understand a couple different things there is no such thing as an age of an accountability as, as an age of accountability but it's also important to remember that god is merciful god is the very embodiment of mercy so if we have a child god forbid something bad was to happen a young child when that child that child has passed away died untimely the lord i fully believe that god brings that the spirit of that child to live with him forever now, what is the age of accountability? I can't say. Because here's the thing. To deny Jesus, you have to hear a true report of him. And that's just the truth of the matter. So there are a lot of people that there may, there may be a lot of adults that have never heard of such a thing. Now, they know they've done wrong, right? Right? But it's in that knowledge of doing wrong willfully when you sin that spiritual separation happens. And then that is when you know that we know or that we know that we become spiritually separated from God. All right, so we see that sin takes advantage of us through the law, that it deceives us, and that it kills us. This is when we become separated from God. Contrary to bad teaching, (laughs) this is one thing that really, really gets me. You'll hear people sing songs about healing their spirit and all this different stuff. And they'll talk about the Isaiah 53 uh, prophecy and all these different things. They'll talk about it as in the context of being healed spiritually. Well, you are receiving healing in a spiritual manner, right? From spirit to spirit. Healing can flow forth from your spirit into your body. Healing can flow forth from your spirit into other people's bodies. But your spirit could not be healed. Healing is the restoration of what is. And you can't heal a dead spirit. And it's very important to understand that because don't let anybody cheat you. Don't let anybody rob you. This healing that we're, that is for your fleshly body, the Isaiah 53 prophecy was the healing of your fleshly body. When Jesus went to that whipping post, he said, this is my body broken for you. That was for your, his, his body was tore open as the payment for our physical healing. That was not, that at that whipping post, was not where he paid the payment for the sin of the world. On that cross, he paid the payment for the sin of the world. Now see, here's the problem. Here's a lot of the problem that we have, is that, I've said this before, and I'm going to keep on saying this, people exalt that cross, and that cross to a lot of Christians, and to a lot of churches, has become very likened to Israel's golden calf. They worship that cross. They exalt that cross. And yet they have no literal understanding to the fact that that cross was a place of defeat. That cross was a place of shame, suffering, separation from God. The resurrection took place at the tomb. The point of victory was the tomb, and so it's very important to understand that. Your spirit was not healed. Your spirit could not be healed. Very important to understand that. Your spirit was dead, separated from God, dead to God. Could not be healed. Very, very important to see that because people that believe this spiritual healing stuff are being cheated out of physical healing. Where do we go from here? How do we we bring all this in and understand it? We see that we were born, that we see that we were born connected to God. We see that sin kills us and deceives us and separates us from God. What's the answer? The answer takes place in a beautiful conversation between Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, and a man, a Hebrew man. By the name of nicodemus and so this is where we want to start and we want to start to decipher and understand better the terms born again saved and salvation are they all the same what happens here the church seemingly throws these terms around but really no one really seemingly knows what is going on so what happens right Think about it like this. We see someone. They come to the church. They hear a message. They respond to the message. They go to the altar. And they accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And what happens? Everybody leaves the church saying someone got saved today. Is that right? Well, yes, that is somewhat right. It is, in essence, it's right. There is a lot of truth in that statement. But what truly happened to you at the instant that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Now, this is what we want to see. This is what I want to show you, okay? So, go to John chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 21. Starts out, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come to Jesus by night? Because he didn't want to be seen taking counsel with someone who was thoroughly hated and despised by his contemporaries. But yet Nicodemus was a man who obviously loved God and was seeking truth, and he wanted to know. He knew. Look what he says here. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What's Nicodemus saying? He's saying, Lord, I believe that you are who you say you are because no one can do the things that you do lest God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is a very very interesting dialogue right here. Because it seems as though Nicodemus didn't ask a question, he made a statement. So, what did Jesus really answer and speak to the desire of Nicodemus's heart? He wanted to know, Oh, what can I do to have eternal life, Lord? What can I do? Jesus spoke, and he's speaking to him, and he's unveiling to Nicodemus the teacher of Israel. Because Not, you'll notice he says, you're going to see something here in just a minute about this. But he's revealing to the teacher of Israel what is truth. Why? Because he knew Nicodemus would take this after his death and he would do much with it. Now we have no scriptural proof that he did anything, right? We have no scriptural proof that Nicodemus did anything. But we can just about count on the fact that he did. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I can see the look on his face right here. He's probably, he's probably looking at the Lord Jesus batting his eyes at him like a toad frog in an East Texas hailstorm. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And be born. Jesus answered. Most assuredly I say to you. Unless one is born of water. And the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying right here? He's talking about two births. Born of the water. Born of a woman. And then again. Born of the spirit. He cannot even He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now listen what he says here. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I love this because I'd say that I'd say Nicodemus and and myself are probably a lot alike because he's sitting there. Here's this guy that is is one of the absolutely most educated men in Jerusalem, one of the most educated men in Israel, and he's sitting here, and he says to the Lord, how can these things be? Jesus absolutely blew his mind knocked his socks off, right? Jesus answered and said to him, now listen, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? What is the significance in that statement right there? He doesn't say, are you a teacher of Israel, implying that, now we know that they had more teachers than one, but this statement here, the teacher, Jesus is having a conversation And he is influencing with the wisdom of God. He's influencing the single most important and influential teacher in Israel. The teacher of Israel. He says, how are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things. Mm. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. We, we, we. Who's he? Who is he talking about? Jesus is not talking about himself and the frog in his pocket. He's talking about him and the Holy Ghost, himself. He's talking about himself and the Holy Spirit. We speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. Well, who are these? Well, we know that Jesus was a man. Everything he did here was a man. He was 100% man, 100% God. And he did everything under the instruction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is receiving instruction from God. The Holy Spirit is giving instruction to Jesus, and Jesus is carrying out the will of God. So he's talking about the Father, the Holy Spirit, and himself. He says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? I love this. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now listen here. Some of the most beautiful words that we're ever going to hear echo in our ears. Some of the most beautiful words that we're ever going to hear spoken. This is going to set the tone for part three of this message. is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned. Why? Because he doesn't believe. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be seen, may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. There is so much content in those 21 verses right there that we could sit and study those for a lifetime and still not extract everything that's in those verses out. But... Here's what we want to set our focus on. Number one, born again. You must be born again. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So what does this mean? Well, let's describe what happened to you when you were born again. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you... To look at verses 12 and 13 verse 12 says this for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. All right. Why is this important? Baptized into one body. So your old spirit, the spirit that you were when you died and you were separated from God, spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God, when that, that day when light came and you realized, I must have a Savior. Jesus is my Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me. Father God, Father, I, I, I am a sinner and I see this and I see that only the blood of Jesus that was shed for me can save me. I see that only the belief in his name can save me. What happens? The Holy Spirit, thank God for the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, takes that old spirit that you were and he submerges that old spirit into the spirit of christ into the body of christ kills that old spirit and pulls you out births you out of christ a brand new creation in christ and then we see that according to 2 corinthians 5 and 17 if anyone if anyone be in christ he is a what He is a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become made. All things have become new. Whoo! Glory to God! So the Holy Spirit takes your spirit, submerges you into Christ, births you back out. That's the new birth. That birth, that new birth that Jesus talked about, is the Holy Spirit taking your spirit, baptismo. See that? That is the Holy Spirit taking your spirit, and that baptismo, that's a root word for baptism. And baptism here, we'll we'll cover this just really quick, because we want to see this, because we're going to lay down one of the, we're going to lay down the confusion on one of the doctrines of baptism right here that's seemingly very complicated and was very complicated to understand to me baptized this is the translated from the greek word baptizo now it means to now think about this this was a laundering term in ancient greek times and what they did was is they they would take dyes and put it in their mix in their water whatever submerge the garment in there and keep submerging it keep holding it under submerging it submerging it until it came out exactly the color that they wanted it the holy spirit took your spirit baptismo baptizo i'm sorry baptizo baptized you into the spirit of christ killed the old man in that instant in the killing of the old man you're birthed the brand new spirit out of christ and you're removed out from underneath the law of sin and death praise god Mm. go to mark chapter 16 And I'm going to land this thing right here. This is the the spot where we're going to land. This is the spot where we're going to finish. Mark chapter 16. Very, very seemingly confusing text. This has uh, generated a lot of bad teaching in the church. I can't tell you for how many years, but it's probably been several. Alright, so Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 15, and it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now listen to this. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who believes not will be, the King James there would say, damned, or the New King James and other translations would say, condemned. So we're going to clear up at least one doctrine of the doctrine of baptisms here, because there's three three doctrines of the baptisms, John's baptism, baptism in the Holy Ghost, and then the single-handedly most important baptism, which we see in according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is the baptism into Christ. So here we've had numerous doctrines that have been presented by people that some of them were honest in heart and misguided in the mind. Some people were evil in heart. And they've preached this and taught this that a person can be born again, and yet if they not be if they be not water baptized, God won't accept them. And the thing about it is, is that a lot of people, you know, like Brother Hagin would say, you he was baptized. He went down. He was a sinner. He went down to be baptized, and they he went down. He he went down a dry sinner and came up a wet sinner. He didn't. Baptism does not. That water baptism didn't do a thing in the world to help him or save him, and it doesn't do a thing in the world to help anybody or save anybody. That baptism that the church does under water that people teach, that's a very common teaching in the church, does not prevent one from receiving eternal life. How do we know that? We go to Romans chapter 10, and we see what is the qualifier for eternal life i think that this is important to see this go to verse 8 romans 10 verse 8 but what does it say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What is the qualifier here to receive eternal life? We see that with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and confession with the mouth is made unto, there's our another term that we're going to talk about, unto salvation. See there? Not a thing in the world is mentioned about water baptism. And it's important to understand that. Is water baptism important? Absolutely it is. Jesus was water baptized. Why? Jesus didn't need to be water baptized because he had no reason. He had no sin that needed to be remitted or sent, or he had no reason for a baptism of remission of sin he was sinless he was perfect he was blameless why did he do that he went to john and john said lord you're going to have me baptize you it should be me baptized by you lord and what did jesus said he said permitted to be so therefore or because of this or so that we'll fulfill all righteousness so water baptism very important we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about that but the primary baptism here under eternal life it's very important to see this is the baptism by the holy spirit into the spirit of christ into the body of christ where you are now made accepted in the beloved think about that you're joined to the body of christ you've become a joint heir with Christ in that being born again. How cool is that? The Lord is good and the Lord is amazing. He is beautiful. He's so cool. He is so cool. I hope that this has helped to clear up a little bit of stuff. I know that it's a lot. I know that it's hard to understand. And this is a this is just a preliminary teaching on spirit soul and body it's important to understand that you are a spirit you have a soul and you live in a body your spirit could not be healed your spirit had to be born again and in that your soul your mind your will and your emotions when you were born again your hair color didn't change your eye color didn't change a lot of your thought processes didn't change that's why we see that the mind is something that has to be renewed, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word mind right there is translated from the Greek word naos, and that means the seed of the emotions and the will and so on. It's the combination. The soul is the combination of the nous, the mind, the will, and the emotion, and they are eternally linked to man. That means that no matter where you go, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, your mind's not going to be erased. God's not going to treat you like the guy off of Men in Black and give you, hit you with a little thing and erase your memory. No, 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 no. You're going to, we see in the, in the story or the account with that Jesus used with uh, Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man very much knew who Lazarus was. He knew who Abraham was. He understood about his brothers and his family. So people that are in hell that have went there, the worst part about that is that is that they'll know forever and have to go there. I hope this helps. I hope this clears some stuff up. If you have any questions, please contact me. I want to make sure I don't want to leave any room here for the enemy to steal this seed or to sow thorns in this with this teaching. And that's what I believe you for, Father. I believe, Father, in Jesus' name that either we're sowing here or we're watering here. But praise God, I believe you for the increase. We love you all. Be blessed. See ya. In Jesus' name.